we are right here, right now, right at the fork, ready to talk to Sarah Schaefer, who runs what I think is one of the most beautiful restaurants, and it's also one of the largest restaurants in Portland, Irving Street Kitchen, and we'll talk to her about the specifics of that restaurant, what goes on in the front of the house and the back of the house, and how she got there uh, through her childhood in Boston, uh, to Napa, back to Boston, New York, and then San Francisco, uh, and then here to Portland to open Irving Street Kitchen almost four years ago. She's in her fourth year. And while she's been doing that, Sarah has been spearheading Taste of the Nation here in Portland, which actually originated here. And it is going to be going on April 29th, 2014, at the Crystal Ballroom. And it is one of the essential events in Portland to attend because, most importantly, we're, it's an, uh, the opportunity to help a lot of people who really need it. Uh, the ticket price, 100% of the ticket price to share uh, to Taste of the Nation goes to help hungry children. It supports uh, Share Our Strength's effort to uh, do everything they do in the community in Portland. And on top of that, it's an opportunity to go experience the Portland food scene in one concentrated, delicious evening um, in April. And so we're going to talk to Sarah about that. She's going to talk about why you should come and why you should support uh, share our strength outside of this event as well. Uh, you can find uh, you can find them on Twitter at Portland Taste. You can get tickets at tasteofthenation.org/portland. So we're ready now to talk to who I think is one of the best and most genial chefs in our great city, Sarah Schaefer. Those headsets are like a fashion. Uh, fashion statement with what you have on it. It works. We knew. It's preparation. It's all about proper preparation. It is. Um, and you had uh, mental preparation today. You were able to sleep in for a change. A little bit. So a little bit was 10 o'clock. How often do you get to do that? Ooh, maybe once a week, maybe. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So you can change your clock to be able to sleep that long. Right. And then so... To what time do you usually? I'm just curious. The life of a chef I don't, who operates I don't, I, the I don't, largest kitchen. I don't usually kitchen. get to sleep before. Uh, no early. I don't, I don't really go to sleep early, earlier than than midnight. Midnight. Okay. Midnight. One o'clock. And then when are you I've usually? I've been known up? to stay up till two. <laughs> when are you usually up? Uh, seven thirty eight. And then when are you actually working? Uh, I'm usually work by eight thirty nine o'clock. Okay. And then you're there. It sounds like if I'm thinking about a clock from what you just I'm mentioned. I'm there until 9, 9, 10 p.m. Okay, good. So you're not good necessarily, but thanks for the information. So that's <laughs> 13, 13 hours yeah. a day. Yeah. And, and it's not easy work. That's a work. good day. It's not easy work. No. And then on top of that, events. Yeah, outside events. Outside usually, events. Usually longer days. Which we'll talk about a little later. Yeah. Um, and so you're... Um, you're operating what I think is it. It's one of the largest kitchens in Portland. One of the largest restaurants, dining rooms. Correct. I think so. Yeah, it's about, yeah, it's on nine thousand square feet. It's it's pretty big. 
9,000 square feet. We've got feet. about, it's, I want to say it's about 210 seats total. Uh, it's, it's, uh, that's so many. It's 80 in the private dining room and then the, the main dining room. It's and that pretty, private dining room. We call is it, gonna, we call it grand. Grand. It is grand. It's and grand. it's grand <laughs> that you're, that you've been, uh, are you three years now? This will be my fourth year. Your fourth year, right. So yep. that's amazing. Our fourth to year work. anniversary is, is, uh, May. Right. So that's amazing for an executive chef, I think. To stay. To stay that long in one place. And it's not easy. It's not like it's just a laid back deal yeah. you've got going on. Yeah. And you got to, the, the menu's got to change. It's got to, it's got to rotate. People have to, they have to be enticed. And uh, I think you do a good job enticing them. Uh, some of the best meals, I said this at our Portland Food Adventures event, and including that, this was before that, and before the, in the kitchen that you did, which I still want to get the recipe for the fried chicken, but we don't have that yet. Um, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm I'm one of those chefs that I'll I'll give you the recipe. There'll be but there'll be one key ingredient missing. Well, you know, if <laughs> if I had taken notes that night, right? You, did you get, if someone had been taking notes in the kitchen at Standard? When if we someone did had that, been taking notes, they would have gotten the complete the whole recipe. Thing. Yep. And then and then so I, as the captain of the Portland Food Adventures deal wrote and tried to get that to send to the attendees could not get it you'd give me a recipe for something else i gave you everything else right but that's that's okay so i guess the deal is (laughs) put it this way even if i were to attempt it why bother just go in and have you i think someone did there was a woman there was a woman who emailed me who actually she attempted it and she just said i gotta say sarah i can't do it i know who it was (laughs) she came to the event wendy yeah she wrote me and said "I, i just could i she took Copious notes. Yep. And did not accomplish it. So that tells you don't even bother with the notes. Don't just bo- come do- to the restaurant. Just come to the it's restaurant. And Let do me it. do it. <laughs> yeah, no, you do it well. Those and the oysters. So uh, when I announced in front of everybody, no one does fried food better, you were very quick to say, but it's, I'm not all about fried food. I know. I, I, it took me a long time. I worked in a fish restaurant in, uh, in San Francisco, Anchor and Hope. It took me a long time to, to, to say that it's okay. Coming from such a fine dining background, it's okay to be really good at fried food. And so well, a lot in of Portland, therapy. In and, Portland, fried food yeah. is elevated dining, you yeah. know, too. So it's all right. So well, what is, it, there's an art form to it. Not everyone can do fried food and not have a taste like what you're frying it in. Well, yeah, and do it. There's so much to it. There's the yeah. the, the taste. The crust, yeah, it's a, it is an art form. Keeping everything tender inside, or the way it should be inside. It is an art form, and um, the first time I tried your food, I was just blown away. At the, we had the oysters and then the chicken. So I don't mean to, again, concentrate on those, but, uh, but later came back and you, you uh, served us a nine course, lots of courses. Yeah. I came with some friends, and just incredible. So well, who was it, Ruth? Uh, I think it was Ruth Reichel who said that uh, the true measure of a chef is how well you can do chicken. Okay. So, and not necessarily fried chicken. So you've got that. You grew up in Boston, and there was a Julia Child was an influence, and she Julia was, Child was a huge influence. Right. I used to beg my mother to be. We my mother worked. Uh, she worked about two. She worked two jobs at one time. At, at one point, and I used to, we'd go grocery shopping at night because we didn't have time. And uh, I remember I used to beg her like, "Can we get home? Can we go? Can we go? Can we go? Are we done yet?" Because I I needed to get home and watch Julia Child. No VCR or no DVRs at no. the time, of course. So uh, what two jobs was she working? Um, well, she worked for a, a waste management company at one time, and then she worked in— Oh, in, in Boston. That's yeah. 
That's, that's, that's a tough stuff. business. She's, she's, yeah. a t- she's tough. Yeah, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't, she didn't have the job very long. <laughs> <laughs> well, but at um, least she survived. Yeah. And then, and then she worked um, in retail in an in a art store. So single parent household, dual parent household? No, dual parent. My father okay. was also working. My and, father worked hours like I work now, but he was a banker. Okay. Um, and that's nothing like working in a, in a kitchen. No. Nothing. So you, did you know from an early age, from wh- when you were watching Julia Child, this is what I wanted to do, what you wanted to do? Um, I knew that I wanted to cook. I didn't know I wanted to cook professionally. But you probably didn't know what professional cooking no, I had was. No, I had no idea. Right. <laughs> No idea at all. Um, I knew I knew I wanted to fly planes. I wanted to be a pilot. Interesting um, week to be bringing that up. I know. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, I want I wanted to be a pilot, and then um, it just I had to get a job one day, and I started. I just started in a bakery making wedding cakes. Actually, really prepping to make wedding cakes, and then finally the the head baker uh, just. Uh, disappeared. She uh, she went to follow the Grateful Dead, and uh, they needed someone to take over the position. So well, that's, that's a pilot in a way too. <laughs> so I said okay. So uh, I took over making wedding cakes, and then from there I worked in a cafe, and there I um, worked in a little restaurant outside of Boston. And then they told me, you know what, you have some skill. Maybe you should go to school. How old were you when that at that point? Uh, when I started, mm-hmm. fourteen. You're kidding me. And that you were allowed to do that yeah. at 14? Well, in the back of a bakery. And as long as you're not carrying alcohol, you can do it. And it was everything under the table? Were you actually be able to? Oh, yeah. Okay. I think I had a job at 15. Yeah. I don't know how that yeah. worked. My, my mother would drop me off on her way to, to work. And then when she was done with work, she'd pick me up, take me home. That is great. You could say it was child labor. So you have a, you have a strong work ethic. Work ethic. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what I was getting at. You know, can you do that? But you have a strong work ethic that was instilled in you from a pretty early yes. age. Yes, my parents worked very hard for for everything they have. And maybe that's what caused you to go into a into a bakery at fourteen. Yep. That and all the sugar. So, but at the point when you were uh, working working in Boston in a real kitchen, how mm-hmm. old were you when at that point? Um, was that after high school? I grad when after I graduated from high school I went I went straight into the Culinary Institute of America. Okay. Um and from Then then obviously you knew exactly what you wanted to do. Then I knew that. that yeah, then I had to make a choice. Right. And so where you you went from there back to Boston? From there I went out to Napa. Okay. Um and I worked in a restaurant that no longer exists. Um and then from there I spent 2 years in Napa. Um, very lovely place, not much to do for someone of my age. Right. I think I was 20. Yeah. Um, so then I moved back to Boston, worked in a restaurant, uh, called Tosca. And soon after I started, Ken Oranger moved from Silks Mandarin in San Francisco to Boston. And I started working for him, which was, he has an amazing work ethic, amazing palate. He's one of the best chefs I've ever worked for. Um, and that's and, a good thing to say because you worked for a few along yeah. the way. Yeah, he's. I he's, mean, that's a high, high everything. Everything he touches culinarily usually turns to gold. And it still is. I'm not that familiar with the Boston yeah. food scene. Yeah, he has about. I think Except he has like five restaurants Fe- now. You can get at Fenway Park, maybe I don't know. <laughs> five restaurants. Yeah. And then you went to New York and you opened up uh, Storied Eleven Madison Park. 
Well, I didn't. Yes, I opened. I opened up Eleven Madison Park. It was Ken actually who told me if you if you want to be serious, if you want to be a serious chef, serious cook, go to New York City, get that under your belt. So I did it. I, I spent weeks trying to get a job, and finally uh, I met Tom Colicchio, and he gave me a shot in his kitchen, which was unheard of. Usually, you um, you start in the tavern, and you get to grill little things here and there, and work in the front, and then you move into the kitchen. But I got a job straight into the kitchen. Wow. So would made you, a lot of people angry. So to, just to pop back and forth a little bit, is that um, is that advice that you would give someone who was your age now? Uh, get into New York or go to go to a large city before you come to Portland. How, how um, do you feel I, about that now? I think I think it depends. I think New York sort of gives you. You know, I'm, I'm not the kind who's all about New York. It's all about New York City. But I think that um, it does give you a certain aspect, a certain uh, angle on cooking and how you need to be in a kitchen sometimes. Uh, I think the industry has completely changed from when I was young. And In what, uh, in what way? It's, it's different. It's a little softer. It's a little more... Um, Is that a generational thing because yeah. of the entitlement? Well, I think I think everyone everyone wants a, everyone wants something a little bit more kitschy, a little bit more cutesy. Um, I mean, when I was when I was, it was just a different time. Kitchens were were harder; they were cutthroat. I would think they would be more cutthroat now because Mm-mm. there's all this knowledge that there was ten years ago. No. People weren't paying that much attention I think, to I think it, nowadays, except when they went to eat. But now they're watching it on TV. Nowadays, people don't take cooks. Culinary students don't take cooking as seriously as they as they probably should. They all want to be on Top Chef. They all want to be on TV. They all want to be a celebrity chef, and that's okay. But for me, in my time when I started cooking, that's not what it was about. You didn't have the celebrity mm-hmm. chefs. You had, you know, you had the Danielle Belude. You had Eric Rupert. You had all the chefs to look up to. Now everyone's looking up to Bobby Flay. Well, even Bobby Flay was someone to look up to in my time. Um, he used to come into Gramercy all the time in, in the kitchen and just and just poke fun at, at Tom while he was expediting. It was a lot of fun to watch. But, I mean, it, it was just a different time. When I started at Gramercy, people were, they were turning up your stoves, turning up your ovens. They just, they wanted you to fail. Oh, it was Cutthroat Kitchen then? Yeah. Wow. And so you don't think that's going, people are nicer now? People are just, they, they just, they want different things now. Interesting. And is that the case in Portland? Um, I, I can see no. it more in Portland. I can't no, see I actually, it more. I actually I really love the York. chefs in Portland. I think they're, they're really, um, they're really uh, welcoming. They're really nice. Um, well, that's the chefs in each restaurant. I'm talking about within yeah. the restaurant. You've got, you've obviously got some hierarchy going on there and some people yeah. trying to get someday to your position and and a yeah. position like yours. Well, that's what so, I that's what I want. I want aggressive chefs in my or g- aggressive cooks in my kitchen. I want people who want the next position. That's that's fun for me. Of course, if that's, they're not driven then That's what? energy for me. I just feel like sometimes you don't get that from the cooks today. Hmm. And do you see it in Portland because it is more of yeah, a laid back? Yeah, I see, I see parts of I see I see more now than I did when I first came here. I see more people who really want to grow and so maybe the industry's changing again. I don't know. I saw the same thing in San Francisco. It's not just Portland. Right. That's interesting. And you're saying it's in New York, so that that's then it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's I think it's the way the way the the way it evolves. So, uh going on fourth year at Irving Street Kitchen. Mm-hmm. 
I guess it's not fair to ask, but um, is that something you want to be doing for another four years? Uh, yeah, I love years? Irving Street. I'd like to open up more like Irving Street, uh, but I love Irving Street. I don't, I don't see myself really any in any other restaurant. How do you describe Irving Street to a friend of yours that you grew up with who really doesn't even know you're a chef, doesn't know anything about Portland? How do you describe Irving Street Kitchen? Um, I To me, it's... Uh, it's a really comfortable, it's it's a large restaurant, but it's a very comfortable restaurant. You go in, you sit down, and you just feel welcomed. Um, it's the lighting, it's the... It's also got the the highest, largest front door of any restaurant in Portland. Does it? That front door that's thin and high, you, I, could, fit, you could fit a couple of basketball players I think it's there. a standard door. No, 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 no. That, well, <laughs> I must be feeling ex- ex- especially short then when I walk in. I no, I'm coming over there and I'm going to measure it. You're going to measure the door. I'm going to stand there with you and say, "You're thinking walk out this of the, is standard I want to walk door? out of the kitchen one day, and you're going to be there measuring the door. The, 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 there's two doors, but there's one. I think it's the second one as you walk into the no, restaurant. The same size. Okay. Well, I'm, all right. I'm, I'll be. I'll tell you what. Take me probably about 25 minutes. I'll be right back. Just to, <laughs> take take over. Because I'm really curious about that. Um, um, how would I describe Irving Street? It's a it's I, it's beautiful. It's a comfortable restaurant. Um, uh, the food is, I think it's a Pacific Northwest cuisine with a little bit of a Southern accent. What to is it. P- define Pacific Northwest cuisine? A lot of salmon. People love their salmon. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know though. I, when I moved, no, out it's to- it's 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 local ingredients. It's local, sustainable. All of that, the blanket statement. Delicious, delicious produce. produce. Delicious fruit. Yep. Interesting, interesting presentations. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Uh, a lot of what Portland, Northwest cuisine is. Yes. Because you've got these beautiful ingredients, and it's. I would imagine it's easier to make them look good on a plate. Yeah. Is that you can I get mean, away? You can get also people. People from from Portland have a. a um, they have good palates. They're they're they're. They're discerning. They know what they want. I like that. So they're like, It reminds me, me a little bit of New York. They're, well, I was going to say, they're like baseball fans in New York. Those are the real baseball fans. I've been to ballparks around the country, and you can Careful, tell- Careful, I'm, I'm a I know. Red Sox I'm fan. doing this on purpose. <laughs> but I've been to ballparks around the country, and I would say Boston is a true baseball town, too. Yes. But yeah. I've been to parks across, and they don't know what an intentional walk is. They're booing, or they're, they're you know, they have no idea why that's going on. Yeah. And um, so I guess what you're saying in Portland is it's it's not a lot of bullshit. There's yeah, it's what they know what they want. That's great. Do you think everybody does in Portland or across country? Well, generally speaking, I mean, I think that uh, people have pretty high expectations here because you can't you can't just serve anything. It can't be bland. Right. You know, there's no, got to be something special food. at every restaurant, yeah. and that's the incredible thing. I almost say this on every podcast, but it's. The incredible thing about Portland is you've got so many people doing so many incredible right. things that you can't survive unless you're doing something special. Right. So, um, but I've always wondered about Northwest cuisine. It's like when everybody, so many reviews. I saw one the other day from someone who will remain nameless who referred to So Portland three to- three or four times in the review. Just, you know, Portland as, uh, as an adjective. And uh, what does that really mean to people who, you know, what, that means different things to different people. So yeah. I always wonder about Northwest cuisine. It's used a lot. Um, right. But well, so is the word, so, so is the phrase New American. Yeah. What is that? What is that anymore? I don't know. They started using it 20 years ago. Is it still New American? 
Well, I suppose it would be the newest American. <laughs> um, but uh, so you are very involved with um, you're very involved with uh, Taste of the Nation, which Taste is coming up. Yep, for sure. And we were talking about uh, your childhood and Julia Child. What are your favorite mem- your food memories as a child growing up uh. that, that have stuck with you? Well, it moves into into what I was saying earlier about begging my mother to get home to watch Julia Child. Um, I learned how to cook from my great grandmother and and my mother, and and I and I would beg to get home to watch these this show so that I could see her. Um, and the name of her kitchen that she cooked from was actually um, on Irving Street in Cambridge, so it's called the she called it lovingly the Irving Street Kitchen, which when we moved to Portland and found this restaurant and we were thinking what are we going to name it what are we going to name it we thought well it's on Irving Street why don't we call it the Irving Street Kitchen it would have been insane not to do that I, I suppose know. but luckily for me after growing up I watching didn't know it Julia, had such personal meaning to you yeah that's great Thank no you. wonder you want to be there for another four years <laughs> it's yours well I mean growing up watching Julia and then later on after working at Gramercy Tavern um well actually it was during my first I think I was three weeks into working there I actually got to cook for her and meet her. Um, it was all very random because I was, I was so nervous cooking and I, I just, I had so much to do and the sous chefs, like I said, it was cutthroat. The sous chef just said, you know, here's, you know, 24 things you have to cook now. And by the way, that's for Julia, Julia Child. And, and you I just, probably were thinking he was goofing on you. It, but I mean, I was just like, I can't screw this up. Like this has to be perfect. This has to be, I can't mess up. And it wasn't just one thing that you were making for her. It was 24. It was, yeah, it was like 24 apps I was picking up. And then I finally got done and I left and I just remember just being, wow, I just dodged a bullet and I walked out the back door with my knives in my hand and I turned and there was Julia just about to get into her car and she just was larger than life. So this is your mean Joe Green moment then. Yeah. And she just turned to me and she said, do you, she said, you cook here? And I said, yes. And she said, excellent, excellent. Oh, very nice. And then she got into her car and drove away, and that was my Julia moment. You almost don't need another accolade for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. You're all well, set. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he'll take them. I'll take one or two. Or, yeah, a few. So what is it? Is there one particular thing? We talked about chicken, but is there one particular thing from your childhood that are a couple of things that you just remember enjoying so much that if you think about them now, they take you back to your childhood? Um, I remember... Um, Tomato sauce. My mother makes the most amazing tomato sauce. Um, it's an all-day affair. And she makes a sofrito first, and then and then she finishes the sauce. But it's she learned it when uh, my father was my father uh, was in the army, and she learned it from a woman named Mrs. Capone. And it's just it's always it's the same tomato sauce. And I just it's that one thing that just you can pull out of your back pocket. And do you, you're making that? Do you make that now? Um, at the restaurant? You had me a little spe- speechless because the, the whole name Capone huh? hits me. But, uh-huh. And I don't want to get into no. personal issues. But <laughs> um, but at any rate, so all of a sudden I was, ha, ha, ha. Um, but at any rate, do you, are you making that sauce? Did you learn and are you able to retain it and do? Yeah. Yeah, I make it all the time. And it's, is it an all-day affair for you? No, because you're a professional chef. It, it goes fast. Well, it takes a couple hours. Okay. There's and it, some tricks. Is that a thing you do at home, or are you doing it at the restaurant? Um, I have done it at home. I am going to do it uh, at the restaurant. Well, I mean, since, I mean, we're not an Italian restaurant, 
per se, so I can't really use the sauce there, but uh, I am going to use it. Uh, I am putting a pizza on the menu for uh, happy hour for a week and for brunch for two days. So, What kind of pizza would that be? It's going to be a fried pizza. A fried pizza? Yeah. Like okay. in, in Naples, they make a, a fried pie. Okay. They fry the dough first and then they cover it. I think you'll have a lot of takers in this city. I think so. And you're, but you're only doing it for a week, so it's just a now, tease. I guess uh, Eater does a, a pizza oh, week. Oh, pizza week, right. Yeah, so they asked me to do it. Well, that's good. And I was like, how can Irving Street do a pizza? I don't have a pizza oven. I don't have stones. I don't have, what do I do? You run over to Ned Ludd really quickly to the, and then you bring yeah. your pack. Uh, so the tomato sauce. Uh-huh. So you're not an Italian restaurant, but this is, this is Portland. It's the Northwest. Right. You can do your take on Italian, can't you? And get away with it. It's, if you put one item on the menu, you're not turning into an Italian restaurant. No, I'm but encouraging it's, you because it, I want to try this sauce, and I'm guessing you're not inviting <laughs> me over to try it, so I can jump in. Over for happy hour during pizza week. Okay, <laughs> well, yeah, but that's just that's a sauce on a pizza. I want it on some pasta. Um, maybe I it's don't know. A, it's outside. I'm not trying to look. I'm not trying to change your creative vision over there. I just think when you say Northwest cuisine, it's almost anything goes as long as there's right. There's you know, it's in the Northwest. First right. of all, that's the first criteria. <laughs> um. Well, great. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Taste of the Nation that's coming up because you're the lead chef and yes. you've been doing this for quite a while. Yes, I've been doing I've been I've been doing charity work for Share of Strength for oh wow uh, since I was at Gramercy. I started doing No Kid Hungry dinners with them at Gramercy. Um, it gave me it, it gave me the opportunity to work with a lot of chefs I would never have the chance to. Mm-hmm. I got to work with Jean Louis Peladin and Eric Rupert and. Thomas Keller and just chefs from all over the country, some even um, from other countries. And um, I wanted to bring that to Portland. I wanted to bring that to my cooks. So I do a No Kid Hungry dinner every year. Mm-hmm. And then outside of that, I do Taste of the Nation, which is also for Share of Strength. And um, Taste of the Nation is the first of its kind. Um, it's, it originated in Portland, I think, 27 years ago. 26, 27 years ago. And it's the first sort of um, food slash charity uh, function of its kind. Everything and it's else, now all over the place. Now it's all over the place. Now everyone does it. And uh, and so No Kid Hungry ad- administers this uh, from D.C.? Is that? Share of Strength does I it. I mean, Share of Strength. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. They do, they do one in in um, as many states as they can. Not every state has one because they can't necessarily pull together as many restaurants. Mm-hmm. So um, they have them in as many as they can. So um, it gives you the opportunity to work with great chefs, but the real key is It gives me an hungry. opportunity to work with, with a lot of the great chefs in the city, which right. is what I love. But, uh, but as far as what you're doing it for, talk a little bit about the charity organization and why it's important. Um, Share Strength funds um they fund charities they fund uh the Oregon Food Bank uh St. Vincent de Paul uh and a lot of other a lot of other programs <laughs> like uh cooking matters where they actually teach families how to um buy food for themselves under a budget and cook food for themselves for their families and also the thing that I love about it is cook food nutritiously 
They're not. It's not just a, a shelter that you go to and you're and you're you know getting a, a an old sandwich or something left over from some grocery store. They're actually teaching you how to go out, spend your money wisely, and teach your kids how to eat properly. That's something that, uh, if instilled, uh, will right. serve them serve many families well for generations. Yes, and there's a lot of families that don't know how to do it. No, they, I think they, well, I think they, most people enter the they world. They know how to take their their families to eat something fast and something with the, something that they think is cheap, but they don't really know how to make their dollars work. And that's what I love about Share Strength is they really want to get to the core of the problem and teach people how to do that. And um, that is without without that, people don't have a foundation. I was just about to say that, you know, when I entered adulthood, I actually lived in a a co-op, which was a non-designated fraternity in Syracuse, New York. And there were 12 guys thrown into a house, and one was the steward, and the rest, we had to share cooking every night. No one had ever cooked a thing. And now we're cooking for 12 guys every night. And uh, I remember we were cooking for 12, and my roommate and I had a clove of garlic, and he said, don't, don't put any more than half of that in there. So... We didn't have any idea. We're going into adulthood. We didn't have any idea how to right. a shop, cook, or even what it meant. Right. So, but I some think of these that, some know, of these families are, you know, they're sending their kids to school without breakfast. I mean, how can they even learn enough to get far enough to go to college if they don't have any food to get them going in the morning? So, one of the things that Share Strength does is it actually it's uh, it has other programs like uh, breakfast in the classroom where they'll actually bring you a small breakfast in the classroom to eat so that you can actually function at school. All right, well, that's a different level than teaching for going forward in life. So there's, I guess what I'm trying to say is very important they level. cover a broad aspect of, of this whole problem in America. And is the problem, are we making progress on the problem? So they've been doing, yes. they've been around for a long time. What kind of progress has been, there, how, I mean, what kind of measurable progress? They're 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 making they're making a lot of progress. It's just it's a it's a battle. It's a long well, battle. I mean I the choice I, the choice it's you have to change someone's mind. You have to change a parent's mind. Is it do you do you pay your electric bill or feed your children? Well, I guess the kids can go hungry for a day, so I can pay the electric bill. Well, no. So Share Our Strength is trying to change that. And I would imagine. And I asked if obviously there have been successes along the way. There have to have been, but you're always trying to keep catch up. There are right. new problems that arise and new challenges. Oh, yeah. And so uh, that's why I asked that. I didn't mean to yeah. assume that in all these years, nothing had happened, but it's got to be a challenging thing because it just keeps changing and every community is different. Yeah. So probably one model that works in one community. How how severe is the, uh, I, I've read and I've been in the food business for a while, but I, I hear a lot about hunger is rampant in Oregon. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, the only, when I see it, I see it on the streets of Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it goes far beyond that. Well, I mean, if you think about it, I'm sure there's, uh, people are embarrassed by it. So why would you see it all on the street? Right. Right? They'd hide it. I mean, what is it, 26% children in Oregon? That's too high. For, especially for the amount of food that everybody's eating in, in Portland. It's like 20 or 26% of children in Oregon are going hungry. That's crazy. So what can people expect at Taste of the Nation? What's going to happen there? What do you have put together? Um, 
It's, um, a, it's April 29th, which is yes. probably the best day of the year. It happens to be my birthday. <laughs> yes. Um, we've got, I think we have 36 restaurants. We've got wineries, distilleries, uh, breweries, um, just loads of fun, loads of restaurants to come and experience, and uh, chefs you actually get to touch, see, talk to. Um, and so tell people where it is. I'll let you do this. You're the lead. Oh, tell people where it is now. Okay. It's at the Crystal Ballroom. Right. Um, with the with the great bouncy floor. You get to have fun with that. And it's it's nicely laid out. It's it is easy very to navigate. Laid out. And yep. then you got a little downstairs and a little upstairs. Little downstairs, upstairs. There's uh, general admission, I believe, is uh, 85 per person. Um, and then that's for a lot of food and drink. That's yeah. That's I mean, all, all you can I mean, all you can consume. It's kind of it's kind of all you can eat. Right. And not only that, but it's for a great cause. So yeah. eighty-five bucks to eat like a beast, and yeah. know you're doing. And then um, VIP admission, I believe, is one hundred and fifty, and that gets you in early. Uh, and it also gets you gets you a, tomato sauce made by Sarah Schaefer. You get you can you can ask me for my tomato sauce <laughs> recipe. I'll certainly think about giving that to you. And or the fried chicken, you can pick and choose. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, it gives you um, access to the VIP area where there are specific restaurants and um, I believe the um, um, there's a whiskey lounge down there too. I think this is going to happen. So it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. All you can drink whiskey is a little, uh, or is that is, do you have to pay to play on that? Well, whiskey it's lounge. with a VIP ticket. Oh, with a VIP that. ticket. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. You get in before everyone else, and then you get you get access to the to a separate secret room. The secret room, <laughs> the small room, and who are some of the restaurants in the secret room? Do you, Do you know offhand? Uh, not offhand. Heather, no. Do you know some of them? Uh, Irving Street Kitchen. No, I think I'm in general. I'm general. In, I'm in the general audience. Okay. I'll cover it in the. Audience. We'll look. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll take a look, and you can see at uh, tasteofthenation.org. Slash Portland, which where you can get tickets too. So, uh, what are you going to be serving there? Do you know yet? It's it's a little ways off. Um, I, I've got a couple ideas, a couple things I might do. Okay, I'm going to try to influence you, and I'm yeah. sure it's not going to work. No, it's not going to work. That's all right. So, I won't well, because somewhere there might be a chef listening, and I want to make sure that we don't. You don't want to step on anybody's toes, and I you don't want, want them don't stepping on your. I don't want to give too much away because it is a little bit of a competition between all of us. That's true. So who are some of your favorite, uh, when you go out, uh-huh. uh, where, have you, where do you enjoy going lately in Portland? Uh, lately? Speaking of other chefs. Um, I, li- I, I like going, I like taking people to Nostrana. I like what Kathy does. Love Kathy, she's a sweetheart. Um, I like going to Ox. Greg and Gabby are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like going Pretty to Pretty much see, comes up on I like going to see list. the show, the show, Ned Ludd. Yeah. Yeah. And I mentioned it before, and I'll say it again. Have you been in there on pizza night? No. That's good. I should go in for pizza night. Mm -hmm. Just check out the competition. It's, uh, well, there's a lot of pizza competition in town. Are you a pizza lover from Boston? You got to be a pizza lover. Yeah. So, where are your favorite pizzas in Portland? In Portland? Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, Nostrano was one. That's a tough one. Kathy does a great pizza. Yeah, Kathy does a great pizza. Um, I, well, I, I think I have to you say you hate to start lists because then you know you, yeah. you leave someone off. But yeah, uh, no, it's got to be I'm Kathy. A, I'm a Ken's fan too. Yeah, I Ken's, like Ken's is Ken's I, is good. Had some good at Lovely's fifty fifty. 
Yeah, they have good pizza. They have great pizza. They have amazing ice cream. And a pizza shoals is good, but I wish he would do a small. <laughs> <laughs> You're stuck with a one large pizza, no matter how many people you have. And then if you have the third person, you got to get two. Well, you just have to get some friends. Yeah, and, well, that, you have to call some friends. That's over. a challenge, friends. <laughs> and then you have the trouble with how you're going to split the bill. Who wants to deal with all that? Or just take, just take it. So, any other places that come to mind, like artisans, doesn't have to be restaurants. Where are you, you know, what, if someone were coming from out of town, your friends, uh-huh. and they said, "I got to do the Portland food scene," and I know you're busy, Sarah. Where should we go? Oh, well, I would say start at Irving Street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> then continue to Irving Street and then finish at Irving Street. Street. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think I think the ones I've already named are actually sort of the ones they should go to. And I know you'll Inclu- think of it, ten it, when you walk um, out the door too. So. Aviary is another one. I, I love what what they do. I, you know, I love Aviary. Smallwares, love uh-huh. Joanna. Um, Johanna does an amazing job. Yeah. It's fun, and she's got New York roots too. Yeah. Uh, Gregory. Oh, love Gregory, roots. sweetheart. Does he, you know, he's the, the most traveled man in the world. Every time I look at his Facebook page, this morning yeah. he was in Denver, last week he was in Alaska, then he was in Tokyo, and uh, he's still running a restaurant over there. How does that work? Do you, could you envision traveling that much? Probably not. He's a, he's amazing, though. I don't know how he does it. And every then, every and once in a while I see him running through the Pearl. Miles a week, too. And I'm just like, how can you be in Alaska and running through the Pearl? I don't understand. Forget the Pearl. He's up at Forest Park running, you know... And then he did that run last year, 100 miles, and yeah. we're in the middle of nowhere that they had to actually uh, stop because it, the weather was too crazy. Yeah. The other day I saw him uh, I saw him at a wine shop down near down near my apartment. I was just like, oh, my God, you're down here now, too. He can't. He's everywhere. He's everywhere, yeah. It's, it's kind of nuts. Well, um, I appreciate, speaking of being everywhere, I appreciate you could be anywhere right now and you're here. <laughs> so um, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah. And uh, we'll provide some more information on... Um, on Taste of the Nation, and Irving Street Kitchen, people can find at irvingstreetkitchen.com, and then Twitter is Irving Street Kitchen? I think so, yes. Um, You can find out, and then, then of course, there's Irving Street Kitchen on Facebook, too, but there's (laughs) something that's, there's one thing that's not exactly Irving Street Kitchen, I think. I may be wrong. I always wonder. But at any rate, uh, more importantly, go to Irving Street Kitchen. Yes, yes. And, um... There are some beautiful, some of the nicest tables in Portland can be found there. The uh, the room, the the tables over that are kind of cordoned off with what do you call those tables? Oh, the banquettes and the, the with the uh, well, I know they're the, curtained, yeah, the curtained curtained banquettes. Yeah. Okay, and then there are those in the library. It's a beautiful place. The bar is fantastic. Uh, so visit Irving Street Kitchen, say hi to Sarah, and uh, order anything on the menu and have a good time. Thank you for coming. Appreciate it. Sarah's always fun to talk to, and that was uh, that was not out of the ordinary to have a fun conversation with Sarah. It's nice to see her laugh. She's always in serious cook mode when I when I see her. Oh, so the first time I met her, she had a very dry sense of humor, yeah. and she always had a smile. It wasn't it wasn't a big toothy smile but you could see she was the, the wheels were turning all the time and you could see that today yeah she had fun we had a good time talking to her a uh, couple of little notes here that i wanted to make sure that we hit because taste of the nation is coming up fast 
uh, April 29th, as you mentioned. Really, really important event. Come wish me a happy birthday. I will. I'll be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be I'm absolutely obligated to be there, and I wanted to be there anyway. We'll I, there's can, nothing I'd rather do. We'll see if we can get you on the stage and everybody can sing happy birthday That's to not going to happen. As a matter of fact, if that's going to happen, I'll just throw my $85 in and say, you guys, eat on me. I'm out. Um <laughs> But I did want to highlight some of the, the VIP chefs who are, are generously donating their their time to this uh, that uh, Sarah made brief reference to. But uh, we do have Vitaly Paley from Imperial, Portland Penny Diner, Paley's Place, Andy Ricker from Pock Pock, John Gorham from Tasty and Sons, all the tasties, and Toro Bravo. And, and a new, new one coming up, yes, right in the pearl. Mediterranean Exploration Company. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Sappington from the Country Cat. And then, of course, Multnomah Whiskey Library. Hello. Well, that's reason alone to come because you'll be able to get in. Right. Right. I think I tweeted that yesterday. Like, Multnomah Whiskey Library and no lines? Hello. There'll be lines. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes, there will be lines. And then uh, also the rest, a restaurant that's not open yet but will be soon, Renata. Italian place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, sweet offerings from David Briggs of Chocolatel to David. And that's one of my one of my favorite um, chocolatiers. Is he in the VIP He's, area? That, so that's all VIP he that I just He should be in mentioned. the VIP area. David, David does an incredible job. And he, uh, if you've never t- tasted one of his morsels... You need to come just to do that. He's the first one who put bacon on chocolate. And I heard about that before I even moved to Portland. Uh, but yeah, it'll be it'll be fantastic. But even if you don't go VIP, my God, the lineup, you guys. Aviary, Bamboo Sushi, Departure, Bokeh Bowl, Grasa, Gracie's, Irving Street Kitchen, of course, Pacific Pie Company, Olympic Provisions, Salt and Straw, St. Jack, and then wonderful beverages as well. Ben Distillery, Big Bottom, Bull Run, Dry Soda, Elko Vineyards, uh, McMinimins, of course, New Deal Distillery, Portland Juice Company, and Stephen Smith Tea Makers. And those are just a few. So it is definitely worthwhile to get your tickets now. They are going fast. But if you go to tasteofthenation.org slash Portland, tasteofthenation.org slash Portland, you can go ahead and get your tickets for the VIP experience for $150 or general admission for 85 Definitely worth your while and in the fabulous McMinniman's Crystal Ballroom. So we're going to end the show today by doing something a little bit special, a little bit different. Uh, since the theme of Taste of the Nation is what my family ate this year for, for Portland, we asked some of the chefs who are participating in the event to share their childhood food memories. And they came up with some, some wonderful memories, and we're going to end the show with four of them. We're going to start with Johanna Ware from Small Wares, uh, using a, a little sound bite from her interview from a few weeks ago. Some of you might remember that. And then we have Sarah Curtis Foley from the fantastic Pacific Pie Company. Rick from Lardo shares some of his childhood food memories. And then Jackie Sappington from the Country Cat. And thank you to those, to those chefs who participated and called in and took a few moments out of their day to reach back into the vault of food memories and tell us about it. And we're asking you, our listeners, to get into the act as well. We want you to share your childhood food memories with us on our Facebook page. Go to www.facebook.com slash right at the fork, where you can enter your favorite childhood food memories and win a pair of tickets to Taste of the Nation 
on April 29th. We will pick a winner. Um, You can enter all throughout the weekend, and we will pick a winner on Monday morning. So go to our Facebook page for a chance to win. So enjoy, everyone, and we will see you at Taste of the Nation April 29th. Let's talk a little bit about, because I know I I met your mom. She's a delightful woman. Um, And she was an important part of your upbringing, obviously. She's your mother, but it's your food upbringing. Yeah. What what are your best food memories, or what are your vivid food memories as a child? Um, She makes an incredible steak <laughs> and would make steak with cream spinach and mashed potatoes. That was a meal that we had, but, like, just... I mean, I remember telling her to cook mine longer because she would make a medium rare. Now I'm like, obviously changed my ways, but she made, I mean, she just cooked a lot. She like, um, I mean, I loved her fajitas, like just stupid things like that. She made amazing cookies. Um, But yeah, she cooked dinner every night. She cooked breakfast every morning. It was, you know, we we sat around on the table and ate and uh, had family dinner. So it was just really important. And, you know. Did you go out a lot as a kid? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, we definitely... Had some really awesome food experiences. I remember she and I went to Charlie Trotter's when I was like 16. Mm. And her friend knew Charlie Trotter from um, some restaurant in Miami. I can't remember how they knew each other. But so they did a tasting menu for us that just, I mean, mom and I still talk about it. It was like 20 courses, you know, I was 16. And then they took us back to the kitchen. I mean, it was crazy. It was like, and the way the service ran, you know, just one of those kind of amazing food memories. This is Sarah from Pacific Pie Company. So my childhood food memories are a little bit mixed because my mother is and has never been a very good cook. And we grew up in a single parent household. And so we mostly survived on, I remember a lot of fruit out of cans and a lot of frozen meals and a lot of breakfast for dinner, like pancakes and fried eggs for dinner. And I think that my mom's lack of desire to cook is what really what motivated me to learn how to cook. When I was about 13, I became a vegetarian, and my mom said, well, good on you. You can become a vegetarian, but you're now doing the cooking. So I went to the library, and I got the Moosewood cookbook, and that's basically how I learned how to cook. So um, my childhood memories then transformed into lots of delicious and ethnic foods that I would prepare for my mom and my sisters. And now it's kind of funny because several decades later, my sisters and I are all really good and enthusiastic cooks, and my mom loves coming over for dinner at our houses. Hey, this is Rick Gentarelli from Lardo and Grassa calling in a, um, a childhood food memory. I have a lot of great food memories from my childhood. Being a, an Italian, and uh, we we ate um, we ate often, and um, and we ate a lot of delicious stuff. But um, one very non-Italian thing that we used to do all the time was on um, on Sundays. Uh, you know, I was raised by a single mom. For a while, she dated this uh, German soccer player named Carl, and every Sunday he played in the summer. Um, we would play a soccer match, and then at the end of it, we would sit on a blanket in this uh, park field in, uh, in somewhere in Yonkers, New York, and we would eat uh, this this liverwurst that came in a tube that was delicious, and this German sweet butter, and this pumpernickel bread, and 
I would eat them pretty much as fast as uh, as fast as they could spread that stuff on the uh, on the bread. And it was uh, to this day, I can uh, I still have a love of uh, of liverwurst sandwiches. Um, so there you go, uh, a very German uh, German thing in, uh, in into my Italian childhood. Hi, my name is Jackie Sappington. I am pastry chef and co-owner of The Country Cat in Portland, Oregon. And I am calling about one of my taste and food memories as a child for Taste of the Nation. I think one of my biggest food memories is my grandmother, my great nana, her birthday cakes for me. Um, her birthday cake, she was an artist at Walt Disney back in the day when everything was drawn by hand, and she gave us the opportunity, meaning me and my brothers, uh, to um, ask her to create any birthday cake we wanted, and she would make it. So she made these crazy cakes, Raggedy Ann, ballet slipper, electric guitar, and as a pastry chef now with kids of my own, I have taken that to uh, my own family, and I want to carry on that tradition. So I make crazy birthday cakes for my kids and for my staff at the Country Cat. There have been Ferraris, dragons, soccer jerseys, soccer balls, X-rated cakes, uh, you name it. I've probably done it. And I think the birthday cake just symbolizes a celebration of the end of the year for someone, the beginning of a new one for someone, and to rejoice in being alive. So that's my story. Thanks. Bye.